Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition... So we are now officially in climate and biodiversity crisis. Only the second country in the world to announce it politically. So what do we want in the marine environment? We need to try and stop using marine and coastal waters as a sink for all our waste products. From sewage to dry wipes, from persistent pollutants to plastics. When they end up in the sea, they are an order of magnitude harder to remove. So let's prevent them getting there. The chief executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group responds to the political decision in the Doyle to declare a climate emergency. And another chief executive, Jim O'Toole of Bordiski Wara, says the public need to know and understand more about the importance of aquaculture. I believe that uh, if the public uh, had a greater understanding of, of aquaculture in general, uh, that they would, uh, there would be greater acceptance. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, a reflective radio show about the sea, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yall on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland. And on this edition, we welcome listeners on Kilkenny City Community Radio to our This Island Nation group. Welcome aboard. We start this week with a declaration agreed by all political parties in the Doyle that there now exists in Ireland a climate emergency. There were only six deputies present in the Doyle when that decision was made. So what does it mean? The chief executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, Dr Simon Barrow, is always direct and pretty blunt in his opinions on this programme about the marine environment. So from the headquarters of his organisation in the coastal town of Kilroshan County Clare, he gave this summary. So we are now officially in climate and biodiversity crisis. Only the second country in the world to announce it politically. This announcement from the heart of our democracy is very welcome and hopefully has the full support of all parties. As we all know, and political commentary has responded, announcements without action are worthless. But it's important that a government makes a bold visionary statement of intent. Let's hope they follow it up with real action. No, let's not hope, let's insist, because we have to act now. We are in crisis. Without a healthy, functioning environment in which we live and are part of, there is no future. Forget healthcare, pensions and broadband. They all come second to our life support systems. There are imminent local and EU elections and a national one soon. Let's make sure those who we elect to represent us are truly in tune with what we want and need. So what do we want in the marine environment? Good, inclusive, effective and fair marine spatial planning with the pillars of sustainable use enshrined. Well-managed fish stocks with true stakeholder engagement, managing their local resources. An end to industrial, wasteful and most likely unsustainable harvesting. Marine resources are not owned by large multinationals, but all of us, and also the marine predators we share the oceans with, from fish to sharks to seals, seabirds and whales and dolphins. Determine their requirements to sustain population recovery and manage accordingly. We need more marine conservation areas with locally owned management plans tailored to the local environment and with genuine stakeholder involvement. We do need more no-take zones. We don't know what a pristine ecosystem looks like and probably never will. 
Marine renewable energy is going to expand rapidly in the future. Wind energy tomorrow, wave energy the day after next. This is a good thing, but only if it provides a net energy gain after construction, maintenance and distribution, and only if the environmental impact is not significant. Managed correctly, marine renewable energy can have a positive impact on the marine environment, not to all users, but can provide overall benefits. We need to try and stop using marine and coastal waters as a sink for all our waste products, from sewage to dry wipes, from persistent pollutants to plastics. When they end up in the sea, they are an order of magnitude harder to remove, so let's prevent them getting there. None of this is rocket science. We all know what to do to address climate change and biodiversity loss. We all know what to do to manage our marine and coastal waters more sustainably and equitably. We know what the right thing to do is, and now we have the political will to do it. Let's see, and let's demand it, if it isn't already too late. This is Dr Simon Barrow of the Irish Well and Dolphin Group for this island nation. And following on that, Birdwatch Ireland, the largest voluntary independent conservation organisation in the country, which protects birds and their habitats, is marking the 50th year of its foundation and has released a rather shocking new report. A new study by Birdwatch Ireland has found that the number of waterbirds wintering in Ireland has declined by 15% over the past five years. More alarming is the comparison over a longer time period, which shows that our wintering waterbirds have declined by almost 500,000 individuals, which is 40%, since the mid-1990s. A truly alarming finding. So, could that be another indication of climate change? Birdwatch Ireland was established many years ago and protects birds and their habitats. It has 15,000 members and supporters and a network of 30 branches nationwide. And it operates the only bird observatory in the Republic of Ireland. That's on Cape Clear Island, the southernmost point of this island nation in West Cork. So let's go back now to Brian Burke from the Birdwatch Conservation Team and they're finding that there are 500,000 less waterbirds wintering in Ireland than there were five years ago. Ireland is an important wintering area for migratory waterbirds including several species of duck, goose, swan and wader amongst others. These species breed at Arctic latitudes and migrate southwards to spend the winter on our estuaries, coastal bays, rivers and lakes. These waterbirds are monitored through the Irish Wetland Bird Survey, or IWEBS, which is funded by the National Parks and Wildlife Service of the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gwaelduct, and coordinated by Birdwatch Ireland. Each winter, hundreds of Irish birdwatchers across the country volunteer to count waterbirds in their local areas, together with staff of MPWS and Birdwatch Ireland. The data collected enables us to regularly assess the numbers and trends of our wintering waterbirds. In the mid-1990s, when the survey began, there were over 1.2 million of these birds at wetlands around Ireland. But analysis of data from recent years found only 760,000, a shocking decline of 40%. Wading bird species, including knot, dunlin, golden plover and redshank, have been the worst hit, suffering a combined loss of over 100,000 individuals, or 19%, over the past five years. Wildfowl, including 14 species of duck, three species of swan, and four species of goose declined by 28,000 individuals, or 9%. In total, 27 species declined by over 10% over the course of just five years, with only seven species managing to increase by more than 10%. The rate of these declines is alarming, and unfortunately the declines we're seeing in Ireland are consistent with the global patterns of declines. According to figures published by BirdLife International in 2017, 17% of all waterbird species are considered globally threatened, which is extremely concerning. Numerous pressures can impact migratory birds on their breeding grounds, along their migratory route, 
and at their wintering sites, and it is clear that climate change is playing a significant role. Recent studies have shown that climate change is causing shifts in the migratory behaviour of many of our familiar wintering waterbirds. Milder winters mean that many species no longer have to migrate as far as Ireland in order to find ice-free wetlands. In addition, climate change is making conditions increasingly unsuitable on the breeding grounds, resulting in poor breeding success, meaning that in some years very few young are raised at all. This means that not only are fewer birds coming to Ireland, but the global population as a whole is declining. At Birdwatch Ireland we are keen to stress that problems at wetland sites here in Ireland are also likely to be affecting these species, making it harder for them to find food and conserve energy in advance of their epic spring migrations. Factors such as disturbance from increased recreational use of wetlands by people and unleashed dogs, loss of habitat due to changes in land use, including development and agricultural intensification, as well as pollution, have all been identified as pressures upon wintering waterbirds in Ireland, with the various factors likely having an unknown cumulative impact. Strict enforcement of the laws that protect sites designated for waterbirds around the country is essential so that Ireland can play its part in the conservation of these special migratory species. There are a few positives though. Numbers of hooper swans and blacktail godwits, both of which are winter visitors to Ireland from Iceland, have increased in recent years and we now have a minimum of 1,400 little egrets across the country, a species that wasn't present in Ireland at all when IREBS first began in 1994. The full results of this study are outlined in Birdwatch Ireland's scientific journal, Irish Birds, which is available now through the Birdwatch Ireland shop. And that's Brian Burke of Birdwatch's conservation team. And you can get onto their shop through the organisation's website, which has a bright new appearance. That's at www.birdwatchireland.ie. Another aspect of climate change is the decline in fish stocks added to by overfishing in the richest waters in Europe, those around Ireland, mainly by the concentration of European fleets in Irish waters, and that deriving from the failure of the Irish government to ensure that the Irish fishing industry should be the dominant one in Irish waters. So, aquaculture, fish farming, is becoming more and more important as wild stocks decrease. Jim O'Toole is Chief Executive of the National Fisheries Development Agency, Bordiski Water. Their new €800,000 inshore survey boat was launched at Kinsale Harbour, where there are ongoing objections to proposals for a mussel farm. The boat will be used to survey mussel stocks on the south and east coasts from Dingle to Carnesroe Point to Carlingford in County Louth. The vessel is an indication of the importance BIM gives to aquaculture. Absolutely, uh, it's a key um, part of our research activity in terms of uh, surveying the the, the seabed um, and doing uh, all, all the work that we need to do in terms of identifying uh, the, the mussel st- stock. So it's it's uh, we have now greater capacity. We've newer technology. Uh, we'll be able to do uh, what we do. Uh, hopefully uh, better, uh, quicker and, and to a great, greater extent. And mussels are certified by the Marine Stewardship Council, aren't they? That's right. Uh, we have uh, MSC, as it's known as uh, certification, which is very important because in the marketplaces uh, throughout Europe and indeed the world, uh, that 
that certification is, is regarded as, as uh, the most important and has the most value. And it's very uh, important that Irish mussels uh, are, are able to, to use that certification because they produce the high standards that, of which they are. Now, we don't want to go too much into the controversy, but mussels have been controversial. Will this change the approach towards, because of all the allegations that mussel seed has been moved north and court cases and that, is this a new step forward for mussels? Well, I think um, the uh, most important thing uh, in any debate is to have the facts, uh, and uh, this provides evidence. We have, as I said earlier, uh, greater technology, so we can do the job better. So I think once we have a factual basis, uh, then perhaps uh, the, the controversy will, will be lessened. Now, Dingle Bay is mentioned, the East Coast is mentioned. Are there the primary areas to be looked at? That's right. Uh, the, the Irish Sea uh, is, uh, and, and round into the southwest are, are, the, are the principal areas where the, where the survey work is, is undertaken every year. Public acceptance of mussel farms. This is an area where there's even controversy now about another application. Do the public understand fully the benefit of mussel farms? Uh, I, I believe that uh, if the public uh, had a greater understanding of, of aquaculture in general, uh, that they would, uh, there would be greater acceptance. I think that consumers around the world uh, prize Irish seafood and uh, shellfish in particular, uh, and uh, people enjoy the great taste. They believe it, uh, it comes from, from the cleanest waters. Uh, and I think there's a certain irony, uh, perhaps, that, uh, that there is less acceptance of what I think is a very sustainable practice. And as you mentioned earlier, we have MSC certification. So we, we are producing uh, shellfish to the highest standards. We're doing it in a very responsible and sustainable way. And it's appreciated and prized by consumers around the world. It provides local employment in peripheral areas. I think it's, it's a fantastic opportunity. And I think uh, the opportunity that uh, launching Tibor 2 gives us is to tell the positive story around us and, and to reinforce that. Finally, aquaculture, the future really of the fishing industry with the difficulties of the wild fisheries, the, the falling in stocks, aquaculture is going to be essential. Um, is this the way BIM is looking at things? Well, I think uh, the statistics are well known. World population is growing. Uh, the demand for quality protein is growing. Uh, seafood is regarded as uh, very positive nutritionally. Uh, and the, uh, there is uh, a biological limit to what uh, can be produced by, by wild caught. So, of course, cultivation, aquaculture, farming uh, is something, is, is, is how we have, we have to turn to in order to increase the supply for a burgeoning demand. And therefore, being done in a responsible and sustainable way is the way forward. Jim O'Toole, Chief Executive of Bordiski Wara, the State Fisheries Agency. And the new boat is named T-Burk 2, and that's in tribute to the organisation's renowned biologist, Dr Tomas Burke, who was based in Connemara. It replaces T-Burk 1, which is now based at BIM's National Fisheries College in Castleton Bear. And the boat was named by his widow, Olivia Moylan-Burke. Oh, it's very moving, um, holding back tears, and yet it's also it's it's tinged with joy as well. It's very emotional, and it's a it's a huge tribute to a man who was very unassuming in his own lifetime, but who was full of passion and enthusiasm. And um, it's it's it truly is overwhelming what they have done in naming two boats now after my late husband, and it's a great legacy for my children as well um, to to know that their father was so well thought of and admired in his in his industry. Anything that he did during his lifetime, he did it with passion and 100% commitment and he also himself had his own little radio programme um, he had a few radio programmes but he had one which dealt with maritime matters as well for Connemara Community Radio out in Letterfrack. 
Not too many people have two boats named after them, as does the late Dr Tomás Burke of BIM, who was, as you heard there, another maritime broadcaster on Connemara Community Radio. Now back here in Yole, Justin Marr has a roundup of other maritime news from the Irish coastline and overseas. new series about tides is currently broadcasting on TG Cahar. The unique production was filmed across four continents and looks to provide a visually stunning exploration of one of the most powerful and mysterious natural forces on Earth. It visits some of the world's most stunning locations and bears witness to the world's strongest and highest tides. Experiencing raging whirlpools and tidal bores, it looks to understand how the tide works, how we live with it, and how we harness it. The Irish-language version of the series is presented by Magdara O'Queek from the Marine Institute, who hopes that it will provide a better understanding of our connection with the tide. What I would like people to take from this series is an, an understanding and an appreciation of how the tide and the sea affects us as humans, regardless of where we are on the planet, and also how we as humans can affect the tide and the planet by our actions, regardless of where we are on the planet. I think the tide is a good mechanism for us to appreciate how interconnected we all are and how interdependent we all are. The tide is what carries the energy around the world. It carries the weather, it carries our cargo, it carries our people around the world. But it's an immense power, but also it's an immense warning to us of how our actions can affect our planet and how we live. And you can catch up with the series on the TG Car Player online. Microplastic pollution may be having a serious impact on the ocean's ability to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, according to a new study led by the Ryan Institute at NUI Galway. Jellyfish-like animals called salps play an important role in taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. They eat microscopic algae, who have turned carbon dioxide into organic carbon. The salps pass that carbon to the ocean floor through their faecal pellets, preventing it from being turned again into carbon dioxide and released into the atmosphere. However, the study found that microplastics are preventing these pellets from sinking to the ocean floor. Alina Wisherek is the lead author of the study. Because plastics have low densities, it slowed down this groundwater transport and the sea surface is quite a busy area in the open ocean, so there's a lot of organisms. And when they break it down again, this carbon, which has through photosynthesis, the carbon dioxide has been converted into organic carbon, will then again be respired. And in some places, up to 90% of the sinking particles reaching the ocean floor were made up out of this salpu. So they likely play a very important role. Our oceans are estimated to have taken up one half to one quarter of all human-derived carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. This is one of the most important processes occurring in our oceans, and we show that microplastics have the potential to disrupt this. So we need to be aware of this, and we need to join our efforts to tackle this problem and reduce plastic consumption, stop plastics from entering the sea. The L.E. George Bernard Shaw, Ireland's fourth offshore patrol vessel, has officially been named and commissioned at a ceremony in Waterford. The ship, which was built in Appledore Shipyard by Babcock Marine, was formally commissioned by Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. 
Its name follows in the tradition of the three other ships in the Naval Service's P-60 class. The Ellie Samuel Beckett was delivered in April of 2014, the Ellie James Joyce was delivered in 2015, and the Ellie William Butler Yates was delivered in 2016. The Scottish Maritime Museum is to stop calling ships and boats she to make them gender neutral. Sailing vessels have been referred to as female and given feminine names for centuries, but officials at the Scottish Maritime Museum are introducing a gender-neutral interpretation of ships. Director David Mann said the museum in Irvine Ayrshire has been forced into the move by vandals. The words she and her on a sign explaining the history of one of the museum's vessels were scratched out by an offended vandal. Mr Mann said it is the second time this year vandals have targeted the very expensive signs. He said they are now looking to phase in the use of new gender-neutral signs, adding that they recognise the changes in society. Finally, scientists have discovered a fantastic area of hydrothermal vents, full of crystallised gases, glimmering pools of piping hot fluids and rainbow-hued lifeforms deep in the Gulf of California. There are towering structures made of minerals from the vents, looming as tall as 75 feet, they say. A decade ago, scientists visiting the spot saw nothing unusual. What is there now seems to have built up around an increase in hydrothermal venting, which are parts of the seafloor where mineral-laden and super-hot water jets out. Astonishing is not a strong enough of a word, said Mandy Joy, a marine biologist at the University of Georgia, who led the team that discovered the vents. Justin Marr reporting. And now we've talked often on this programme about the importance of safety on the water, so it's good to hear that Ireland is very well regarded in the wearing of life jackets, both in the marine leisure sector and in the marine industry generally. We head to Galway now for more about this at the offices of Water Safety Ireland and their monthly report from CEO John Leach. To date this year, we have had 21 fatal drownings, which is four less than for the same time last year. So that is encouraging. What's more, we had no accidental drownings during the Easter holiday or during the Maybank holiday weekend, when we experienced fine weather and at spring tides as a result of full and new moons. Normally, this tends to cause more drownings. We can eliminate these accidental fatal drownings by essential training for whatever discipline of aquatic activity that you're involved in. For the leisure industry, we recommend that you use this web portal to find the training that you require, and that's at safetyzone.ie. I was impressed when I spotted a photo of the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed TD, opening the New Harbour Administration building in Castletown Bear, wearing a life jacket. As some of you may recollect, in the past I have written to ministers as a result of them attending various events on the water where they were not wearing life jackets. It is important that we all wear life jackets when we go afloat to sea or on inland waterways. They have proven time and time again to save lives, and Boris Kiwara's enhanced safety scheme, which is on their website, is continuing to save lives in the commercial fishing industry, especially as the life jacket comes with a personal location beacon and training for their use. We recommend self-inflating life jackets and personal location beacons for all lone workers on or near the water. There have been some tragic accidents in the past where a personal locator beacon, in addition to the life jacket, would have saved the person. Remember, you need to be able to float long enough for a coast guard to arrange your rescue, but you also need a means of communication with them. 
and that is where a PLB comes in to help save your life. Water Safety Ireland runs water safety awareness courses for government departments, agencies, local authorities, universities and companies who employ people on or near the water. The course is run over a day. It is based in the classroom in the morning and then in the swimming pool in the afternoon. The feedback has been very positive as virtually all candidates completed it had never even used their self-inflating life jacket in the water. And again, the details are on our website. Ireland is the envy of many nations as a result of the life jacket wearing compliance it has achieved. It is one of the main contributing factors in the steady decline in fatal drownings on our island nation. We receive considerable queries in relation to life jackets and we have developed a practical information page on our website, which is very helpful to new or novice members of the public who have taken to the water. Anecdotally, we see an increase in most aquatic activities this year, but especially in the canoeing and kayaking, which is inexpensive and most people can put it on their roof racks and stow them in their back gardens when not in use. We recommend that these enthusiasts carry a handheld waterproof VHF and a personal locator beacon. These are now relatively inexpensive and many of them take on some intrepid journeys around our coast and across our lakes. Please remember that self-inflating life jackets are like parachutes. If they're not maintained annually, fitted correctly and checked regularly, then they simply will not work and therefore fail to save your life. So until next month, enjoy your aquatic activities and always wear a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach, Chief Executive for Water Safety Ireland, ending this edition of the Maritime Programme, This Island Nation, on community radio stations around Ireland and produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Clare on Radio Cork Boschkeen, Kilkenny on Kilkenny City Community Radio in Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM and on Cork City Community Radio. Podcasts on iTunes Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and themarinetimes.ie and a special edition for visually impaired listeners in association with the National Council for the Blind. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. And you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text to 0872-555-197. That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872-555-197. And there's a weekly blog on Facebook. Until our next programme, from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.